0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 96 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Got the uh, the pre-Christmas whatever going on.
1: Let Bill describe what that means. Bill Sutton, how's it going? going well, Andy. Can't complain. Getting geared up for everything, doing last-minute stuff. I'm sure you're on the same boat. And I remember people talking about my dad
0: and how he bought uh, all his Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, and that was just how he, how he rolled. And I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I like doing it the week of Christmas. I feel like it's not Christmas if you buy it in August.
1: Yeah. I bought a bunch of stuff literally last night um, on Amazon. I, I think I have four orders coming, some from my kids, some from me, um, from my wife. Um, yeah. So it, uh, I, I kind of wait, I'm waiting to the last minute too. I'm. Yeah. I, we used to joke when I was younger that uh, Christmas Eve is a, is the time where back in the day you'd go to the malls and you see the the, the men running through the mall, Harry trying to find things last minute, you know? Yeah. Well,
0: how many of those gifts do you think require computer chips and how many of those gifts do you think require computer chips to get delivered?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, really good question. I know, you know one of the gifts does have chips in it, but it's available. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, beyond that, I, getting them here is a whole nother issue.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I went to Durham last week to meet with Tanium and uh i was pulling into a gas station near their building and it must have been the amazon distribution place locally must have just gone on their routes and they were all stopping to get gas uh there were 30 amazon trucks at the gas station with me trying to get gas at the wow. same time it was crazy wow. wow yeah i know a lot of these things are going electric so maybe the future of that is a different dependency on a different energy resource I, yes well ben rogers is with us ben
2: you uh you ready for Santa Claus at your house? Yes, I've I've done a little bit of shopping ahead. I, I've come to realize if you shop ahead, it just means you shop more throughout the season because you find little trinkets you want to go with the main thing. So, uh, yeah, I've also got a few things. that has got uh, chips in it and, it. and it's funny, one of the things that my son's going to get this year is an electronic drum set. And so a friend of mine works for Music Arts. And I started to research the drum set back in August. And I called him and was like, Hey, I'm looking at this model, this model. And he was like, when are you thinking about getting? And I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'd like to wait till the last minute. And he advised me because of the shortage mm-hmm. to go ahead and purchase it. So I actually made that purchase back in October. And, uh, he does a lot of traveling. He, I, I have not experienced this. You might have Andy, cause I know you've been back out on the road, but he says on the West coast, when you take off from one of these West coast cities that when you fly out and fly over the ocean, that. You see these cargo ships sitting out there, man. It's kind of an ominous sight. And uh, he was kind of commenting on that back in October when I did do the early purchase. But since then, I've had to get this trinket for it and get this trinket for it. And thank God my loudspeakers forum came in last week. So uh, I'm pretty much geared up and ready to go, man. I'm looking forward to the holiday season.
0: Yeah. So you got it. got it done. I, uh, I flew... Out of LAX in the middle of the summer, and there were a fair amount of cargo ships then sitting out there, and I really didn't know we were on the cusp of something that eventually, you know, panned out to be what it is. I don't know what the estimate is right now, but last time I talked to someone, it was about forty-five, and that's been months ago. Uh Ships sitting off the uh, coast of um, uh, Long Beach or LAX, LAX, I think, or L A LAX terminal.
2: Okay, It was weird. It was like a it was just a very ominous scene of taking off and seeing all those ships out there, you know, almost, you know, warish like, you know, just getting ready for battle or whatever. So I couldn't imagine, man. So so some of this has not personally hit me, but I will admit the other day I had something come up with this. So this should be an interesting topic for all of us.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, going to pull the blog up here. The blog we're talking about is uh, with computer chips in short supply. The future is now for IT buyers. Let, let me say it like this: uh, What this has highlighted is the the need for um, you know computer chips or electronic chip uh, manufacturing has become a very much just in time type of thing over the last decade or so because of uh, regions where these things are produced and cost effectiveness of how they're produced. Um, you know, as a guy who's Talked about delivering real time technology to any device from clouds of various types. Um, This is only yet another reason why we need to be adopting and for us, selling. Uh, solutions that aren't as impacted by supply chain type of things. Uh, I know before this conversation, you and Mm -hmm. I and Bill were talking about how this has been kind of uh, used as leverage to get people to kind of think different. You know, If you talk to me and you talk to Bill and probably talk to Ben, the same ideas that are solving these problems were ideas we were talking to people before this this, uh, baseball bat of a chip shortage thing was something that existed or was even thought to could have existed. You guys, you guys this is no different, right we've We've been doing this we've been talking about what could be and how you need to be prepared for
1: decades. We have, and the pandemic just really kind of uh, kind of demonstrated how that applies and how it can you know how being prepared for for remote work in particular and and other disruptions can uh, can help you if you're pre- properly prepared.
2: So let me, let me ask this, guys, because, man, I've been taking some additional education in security, and a lot of the security classes you take these days are concentrating on cloud infrastructure. And, you know, that that's now opening my eyes. With some of these chip shortages, I'm seeing it, an opportunity to start talking about customers that have data center refreshes. Instead of dropping that kind of money into, you know, a secondary data center, now, now may be the time to look at, a cloud solution that you use for a DR solution. And that's how you start to get your infrastructure in the cloud. But what I don't know, I haven't personally been impacted it, by it, it, this yeah, chip have, shortage. Other tech leaders but uh, uh, Across
0: the, but ahead,
2: I have sorry. heard, I have heard other colleagues and friends of mine that have said, no, the, the shortage is real. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with this is, I know we've pushed everybody to go to cloud, and some of it I've kind of questioned like, is this really the best for the customer? But is an incident like this where you go instead of continuing down the road of hardware expansion, capital expenditure, is it now time to take it to an OpEx and go more to a service where the supply chain's, you know, not your enemy?
0: So uh Ben and Bill, do either one of you guys have a uh, completely electric automobile? Not me. You know. So, uh, we will walk through one of the guys on my team, on a team on on our team, and they're in a you know a household with a husband and a wife, and only one of them. Do you know any? Well, do you know anybody that has a couple, your know, husband and wife, or whatever the scenario is, where they both have an electric car and they completely depend on electricity for their transportation needs?
1: I don't. I have a lot that
0: have one in one, but not uh, not two electric cars. And Bill, why do you think they have? One and one. There's lots of reasons. Hit me with the first reason financial. Financial, right? It costs a lot. Well, mm-hmm. that's a great example of why the cloud, uh, public cloud adoption, specifically public cloud, uh, is the answer for some of what you do, but not all of what you do, because it doesn't make financial sense across the spectrum of things you're doing. That's one example, right? Yes. What's another example of why they have a gas powered as well as an electric powered car?
1: Uh, Utility. And what I mean by that is the, you you know, know, SUVs are hard to come by in the electric space right now, at least that are fully electric. So utility would be another potential. So the use case, right? That's another reason
0: why. What do you think another reason why they have both is... They're not solely dependent on one or the other, right? If gas prices shoot right. that roof, they'll drive their electricity. they the
1: risk. Yeah.
0: If the power company drives up prices or goes, is unable to deliver power. You got your share, your risk. So, to Ben's point, we're seeing a lot of people talk about their uh, on premises data center as well as their, and then their DR data centers in a public cloud infrastructure or maybe in Zintegra's. Uh, infrastructure maybe it's fully provisioned maybe it's only partially provisioned but they have the ability to spin up what they need when they want it as they want it you're kind of getting the best of both worlds and you can choose where you want your uh, workloads to be sometimes at a moment's notice
2: yes that is true
0: and so we have something like a chip shortage which kicks in you're like well quit buying your own hardware okay okay That'll use public cloud until the chip shortage is over and then bring some of that back and you can ebb and flow. And that's one of the beautiful things about cloud uh, services, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service. Those types of delivered and scalable both up and down models allow you to get the best of both worlds. So Ben, to your comment, we're seeing a lot of customers that are getting rid of of getting out of the physical Dr. Data Center World and becoming a an approach where they have an electric car and a gas car both in their garage, ready to go wherever they need to, anytime they need to.
2: Yeah, and and that's and that's what I'm starting to see. Like this year with healthcare, healthcare was really starting to get that, and they were starting to ask those questions. And a lot of it had to do with two reasons. One, more of the EMR apps are going HTML. So their infrastructure is having to be less reliant on hardware because their their main application is going SaaS and now they can deliver it in a, in a browser fashion or a lightweight client fashion. The other thing is just a lot of companies have hardware refreshes coming up. They're, they're in that cycle where they're having to evaluate, do I continue to put uh, you know, on-prem hardware, on-prem data centers, expand that out? keep that capital expenditure, or is it now time to look at it as a service? And I don't think a lot of customers these days understand the scalability of cloud and how that really can play in the cost. They think they've got to build the whole infrastructure out where really they can scale it out. But uh, that's an interesting, now the chip shortage goes hey, can you beyond. Hey, can you stay with that just for a second? I want, I want to go back to the uh, the automobile
0: example. In today's world, not only can I have my gas powered or electric powered, let's say I'm a household of two or one or whatever, I can have that. But I also know in my back pocket, I can call an Uber driver and on demand fix my problem. I may pay more for that moment, but I can fix my problem. And in the grand scheme of things, I pay less than maintaining a gas and electric car in my garage all the time.
2: Now, let's put reality in this. The cloud has had some outages here of late. I've had I've had some customers come back and go, "Hey, you know." Now, I'll also give you an example. Let's go back to your car example. Uh, Saturday morning, I'm working out with my workout crowd, the F3 brothers, and one of them talks about they're fixing to head up to northern Pennsylvania, and what they're strategizing is how far their electric car is going to get them before they have to repower, Mm -hmm. and more. What they were more strategizing about is when they repower, how much time were they going to have to repower? And the gentleman was talking about, you know, 80% versus 100%. You don't get that much more with 100%. So go to 80%. And it was just wild to him having to calculate that in his journey now because he's going electric. So so let me give my
0: example, my firsthand example. My brother has a Tesla. He has a, a Tesla 3. Uh and for the first three or four times after he got the car, he drove it because he wanted to show it to us, right? He wanted to be the guy that drove up in his Tesla. Well, now he drives his wife's Ford Edge to see us because that problem of having to stop halfway and charge got to a point where it was a big enough burden. It wasn't worth the uh, attention he got for driving his Tesla to us. Now he just <laughs> pays for the gas and drives it down and his whole family doesn't have to sit there for 30 minutes or so while he charges his Tesla and uh, you know does whatever they do. So what I'm getting at is you rotate one direction, but then you rotate back towards the the appropriate middle, whatever that middle is for you. Um, Exactly like your friend was talking about, you know, how do I get to wherever uh, and what's the plan? At some point you get tired of having to have a plan all the time and you just want a strategy.
2: Well, the, the other thing, you know, this is what kills me about the electric cars industry right now is one, petroleum still not going away. You have to have petroleum to build those cars. A lot of plastic going in those cars can't have plastic without petroleum. And then two, getting the power infrastructure in place, the charging stations, you still got to rely on coal because of electricity. So there's a lot of things we got to fix. I think I'm a big Musk fan. I think he's doing marvelous things. Uh, I'm invested in Lucid, so I want to see these things move (laughs) forward. But I think sometimes we really have this luster of how this technology is going to work and we've got to come to grips with the reality of implementing it.
0: You just brought up a whole other thing, right? So I watched TV over the weekend some, and I probably saw 10 electric car commercials. Not a single one was Tesla.
2: Yeah, yeah, man. The market's getting big. Like you were talking about Amazon. They've just made a huge investment in, is it is it Ravine or Rivetine or whatever? Uh, and man, they've got like an order, I think of 100,000 electric trucks from this company. And I don't think they've produced one of them yet. So exactly, you're exactly right. There is a swing, But uh, I I don't know. Like I said, I haven't experienced this chip shortage thing. But I did talk to a gentleman uh, that he wanted to go buy a new car, a particular new car, and he's bound to this shortage. He's either going to have to take less than what he wants, or he's going to have to wait it out. And he he he's getting at that crossroads where he's he's about to take less than what he wants. So
0: let's bring it back to this topic, and I think what we've been talking about is around this topic. But uh, Ben, true or false? a uh, electric car that you would have bought would have required 50 or more chips in it to be produced
2: electric car would caught would have to have 50 more chips to produce I would agree with that statement especially when you look at the uh, automation that some of these companies have put in place and how that process takes into the chips that it takes yeah. to make the car
0: so so true or false a gas-powered, automobile would also require 50 or more chips
2: i would have to agree with that i think the manufacturing process
0: is similar so what we're getting at there is this chip shortage whether it's in a in a router whether it's in a pc whether it's in my phone oh, yeah whether it's in the speaker whether it's in a eighty thousand dollar
2: automobile um it ain't gone. No, they're in LCD lights these days, man. I mean, the little lights my wife bought for the outside decorations has a little chip in it to control what kind of <laughs> flutteration is the light going to have. You know, they're everywhere now. Yeah.
0: So I think what the article calls out, the blog calls out, is that's not going away. We just got to get smarter about how we leverage all these things that have chips in them and uh, you know have different ways of buying and accruing them as needed, including They even used the word stockpiling in this, which is only going to make things worse.
2: So what's been interesting to see Citrix's stance on this is they're preparing customers for this shortage. And so customers that have renewals coming up, we're really actively talking to them and going, you know, what is your thought process here? You look, you know, what time frame are you looking at this? The other thing that we warn is there's some large. How
0: long has Citrix been preparing people for this shortage? Just, just give me a number real quick.
2: Man, I think it's been hot and heavy the last two quarters that I've seen. You know, I'm still fairly new at Citrix with two years under my belt, but I've seen this being a topic of conversation the last six months.
0: So, Bill, take that same question and use kind of a more of, a, of a, an aggregate of your career. How long has Citrix been preparing people for this chip shortage?
1: Well, in terms of its impact on business for a very long time, I would say, through, yep. the, through the technology they championed and developed.
0: And take that same concept and say, how long it was Citrix, Bill, Andy, Ben preparing our customers or our employer for a possible pandemic situation? We so didn't right. know it
1: right from
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want degrees. to take I wouldn't want to take credit for that because a lot of what I've done in my career has been based on I knew I was going to save the company mo- money by moving them to a thin client environment. The end, the endpoint cost just really the ROI on it for the last 20 years. You couldn't beat it. Yep. And two being security conscious and knowing that was part of my job and what I would get hung on. It just made sense to reduce the overhead on the outpoint. Now I'm yep. glad these things have come, but to sit here and go, oh I saw a pandemic coming and that's why I positioned the companies I've worked for to deal with it. That's, that's not reality for me. Bill,
0: when you think uh, if you had to pick a time, when was the first time you ever told somebody talking about Citrix or delivered compute workloads, AKA cloud type workloads? When do you think the first time you mentioned the word pandemic was?
1: Oh goodness. It probably would have been back when they were talking about the MRSA or something. One of those, one of those, uh, viruses that would everybody was talking about. I remember I used to do slide presentations, you know, for customers from a pre-sales perspective. And a, a pandemic slide was in there from Citrix um on many of them going back 10 years at least. Wow. So at least
0: at least 10. And if you stop and think yeah. about old yards it probably turns into 15 real quick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yep. Yeah. I appreciate that too, Andy.
0: <laughs> But but Ben, your comment on security and saving money those applied in that conversation,
2: that presentation, Ben was done. Bill was doing then too, I bet. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But to be, yeah. to be in the reality now of, you know, I don't think like people think that this is a short-term thing. I think we're going to be stuck with a chip shortage for a while because there's so many things that are starting to consume that And like it or not, man, the resources to do this is yeah. getting smaller and smaller. And you have governments that are trying to jockey for access to those resources. And so those are all interesting things that go into this calculation of when this shortage will. And in my opinion, if it will end.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a, a big part of the rest of the world's history or future is chips, many, many chips in lots of devices and how we get them uh, and then once we get them, how do we you know, control them with software and human intelligence and things that will continue to evolve? Um, the need will just become more and more. And then there's, like you mentioned, government and other related things, manufacturing, tax incentives, all, all kinds of things that are going to uh, right now, you know, just the uh, pandemic and the ability to get ships into a port and unload
2: them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what was it that happened? I remember this is going to age us all, but we'll all remember this. There was a fire many 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 years ago that affected memory DDRAM memory and that put a pinch on the industry for a little bit because I can remember being a consumer wanting to buy big blocks of memory and them going hey not there and it had something to do with this fire so not only do we have to take you know manufacturing and all that but just natural disasters that go on in the world and sometimes when we push the envelope the envelope bites back and so there's a lot of combinations that go into this but again, we're consuming a lot of technology and not only consuming it, but we're short term consumers of it. Like a cell phone, you pretty much have gotten to replacing it every 18 to 24 months. So a lot of chips are going in landfills and I'm not convinced they're necessarily being recycled or that recycled material. So not to get on a, uh, you know, tree hugger stance here, but there's lots of things that are going on with this. Just the fact that we're can't make enough as fast as we can.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'll give you a personal example, or uh, I'll I'll use a personal example to show what we all really need to get to the point of. Uh, Ben, you have a Gmail account, I assume? Yes, sir.
2: How many chips go into the servers that provide that Gmail account to you? Uh, Geez, I I wouldn't want to know. Well, see, let's bring it back to Citrix. Uh, we were talking to a customer today, a healthcare client, and we were kind of given a warning that if some of these companies like AWS, Apple, if they refresh the technology, that's going to put a pinch on Citrix because we're going to have, you know, you're talking about a company that orders thousands of units across the world, if yeah. not more than that. That's a lot of technology out of our inventory and we have to replete that. And there's some questions about how much we can do that. And so we have started... Warning customers that if you are in a refresh period, uh, there is potential for our stock to get limited on some of this. Well, my point in asking the Gmail thing was you don't know and you don't care and you never have to know as long as that service keeps coming. That's, you yeah, know, that's exactly Yeah, platform. Well, but a- again, let's go back and talk about these outages that have happened here lately. That's put cloud customers you know, uh, on, on, uh, defense a little bit, man, they're a little worried about these things, you know, as as proven as the technology is, the problem is when you have failures, they hurt, they sting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that has reinforced what we've been saying for a long time about the concept of hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put everything in one cloud provider, put it in multiple cloud providers You know, what we, what I see a lot is customers coming out and with our pre-sales guys and saying, I want to move everything to the cloud. My, you know, all of my on-prem workloads, I want to move them to the cloud. And that's great. Sure. But you're putting all your eggs in one basket. And when, when the, the East region goes down because of a DNS issue with a certain cloud provider, you're stuck. I mean, this, this has happened to us in real terms with some of the tools we use where, where a provider went, uh, eight where a where a cloud provider had an outage on the west coast and everything was hosted out of the west coast so we were not able to access it until that cloud provider could bring it back online well he, you know having multiple cloud providers or a dr facility that could come up quickly is going to become increasingly more critical than it has been in the past with this concept of leveraging public cloud and for Bill, core what world they world. when they came to
0: us what they were really saying they just didn't know it they wanted to put it in a couple clouds but they right. were, they were using one
1: cloud as an example. Well, I think some of them, uh, it, they, they, I think they, some of them get get um, get focused on a single cloud provider and think they want to put everything, you know, in cloud X, mm-hmm. um, and that that's really because of what they've heard and not really consider the fact that yeah. there's a risk to that, a potential risk to that. It's a lot of benefits, don't get me wrong, but yeah. there is a risk. There are risks.
0: No, they there. they definitely come to us saying they want to put it in a cloud. What we need to make sure they know is what you're really
2: saying is you want to get this stuff out of your data center. Exactly. And distributed, they want to distribute it as well, and that's one thing that I'm starting to learn. Taking some of these additional classes, I am, is that to your point, Bill, you put it in the cloud. Really, what you're putting it in is a region in the cloud. Right. And what you've got, what you've got to start asking, and this, you know, goes into a lot of contract negotiation: is how is that be, region being replicated? Correct. And if it if it is being replicated, how do I get to that replication if my particular region is having issues now? What I, you know, you guys are in the gut of this more than I am as far as looking at customers day to day outside of what they're doing with Citrix. I heard some of these outages had to do not so much with the cloud provider, the cloud platform, but the tenants that were living in that platform and them having a problem that then bled over to causing the cloud providers. Is that a true statement or I'm not sure what all the details of these outages were? What I what we hear is customers start to get nervous. And they start to get, hey, you guys are are preaching this cloud journey, but yet we see issues that are causing, you know, major production issues. And you can't do anything about it because you're dependent upon the service that's down.
0: You know, Ben, I just harp on what I said a minute ago all the time, and it's not a cloud journey. It's clouds journey. And the minute the person realizes what they were really talking about was clouds and how you... Make sure you're covered in many of the angles of things that could happen while the, while accomplishing the goal of getting the stuff out of your data center uh, and consuming it as a platform, as a service, as an infrastructure as a service, and beyond is what they really are asking for. And then then they lean on us to give them our best way of doing it, and knowing it can't be perfect, but you know at least comes with some merit and some experience.
1: Well, I think you know one of the challenges is I, I can I can go back ten years and customers saying asking customers, do you have a DR facility, you have a DR facility, particularly right after 9-11, back in the early 2000s. Yes, I've got a DR facility. We've stood one up, we've got it, we're ready to go. And you get into, well, we want to put Citrix in that DR facility. Okay. So once we dig in, we get underneath the covers, we find that that DR facility has a sand, and they're replicating the sand. And that's it. Yeah, there's no workloads. Uh, so it became important for us to educate the customer on what does it really mean around business continuity and DR. The same conversation needs to be had with cloud or clouds is look, if you're going to have multiple clouds, you need to have active workloads or at least the ability to spin them up quickly in those clouds uh, in order to make it really work the way you want to for your business. So guys, going back to the blog here, the last section,
0: is there's really only two sections of this blog, which has led us into all this conversation, which is good, is uh, planning a hardware refresh. Now is the time to consider not reinvesting in the old way start right. thinking about reinvesting in at least a hybrid approach to how to move forward right
2: yes yeah that's exactly right i mean that's that's really what i'm talking to customers about and then and then you know then the conversation starts coming into they go well i've got to stand all this up that i'm going to be paying for consumption i'm not using and that's where you really start to come in on the multi, the the auto scale mm-hmm. and that's where i think that you know, being a Citrix employee, I think we really start to shine. I think the other thing that I'm starting to see, again, by trying to continue my education, open my eyes up to outside of the Citrix realm is, you know, our ability to play in the hyper cloud space and being able to span in AWS and Azure and GCP. We've got tools that are coming out to manage the images in all in all three of those. And I I think that's really where we start to shine where we go. It's not just about, you know, to Andy's point when he talks, it's not a cloud journey. It's a cloud's journey. You know, now it might start with one cloud. It might start with one leaf. But you do have to paint that picture of Citrix becomes a platform that allows you to branch out. It can be the trunk of your environment and allow you to grow those branches and those leaves as you move through this cloud's journey. Mm -hmm.
0: And what Citrix does a really good job of, and there's only one or two other ones that even come close, is the ability to aggregate all those clouds into a consumable format. And then you've got one place to go get it, but it comes from lots of other
1: places, other clouds. And it kind of goes back to your original question or original uh, question of Bend, Andy. Gmail, how many servers does that go through? I don't really care as long as it works. Yeah. In the multi-cloud uh, environment with Citrix on top, the average end user, they don't care whether they're in GCP or Amazon or, or Azure. It just needs to work.
0: Yeah, for that end user, they just want to go one place, log in one time right. with one credential, and securely. And I've got the word "securely" highlighted on my screen here. Securely get to what they're supposed to get to. Right. Um, that's where another area where we have to come into play and say, okay, yeah, we're going to make this easy, but we're also going to make it secure and forget about the the man behind the curtain, aka Wizard of Oz. You know, ignore that guy. What you care about is how do I get home to Kansas? Man, that was a good one, right?
2: That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, it was a good one. No <laughs> place to come,
1: Andy.
0: They no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> right. He doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, but, you know what, for us, and, and I'll use that Wizard of Oz reference there, for us who really have to help the customer and their IT group, it, it does matter. The curtain
2: and what's behind it. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that's going to be particularly important for your organization is not only the technical skills behind this, but governance, man, governance becoming a big thing with this dude and, and tying multiple cloud providers together. And now you're having that data, you know, being stretched across, you know, the world, uh, people are going to really start to need some help in governance because as they move to this, sometimes the technical is going to overtake, their thought process. And so I see companies like yours being very strategic, not only helping them get there technically, but also being able to give them some governance guidance. As you know, how do you do this and make sure you're staying in compliance and meeting FIPS and meeting all these government demands that are coming on. And uh, I think that's going to be an important part of this business as well. Now it moves us totally away from what we're talking about with chip shortage, but you you made that comment of how, how do we help customers get to cloud, which, protects them from a chip shortage environment. No, it all, Part of that. it all goes back into the making and the maintaining of the sausage.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, I'll use one more of my weekend examples. My sister-in-law who came down in the gas powered Ford Edge with my brother and actually drove them back the four or five hours it took to get home. Uh, she's a nurse who works for a, a Citrix client uh, and um, they don't use Citrix for their nurse's uh, um, and they don't have it set up correctly in general. Uh, and she said, look, I'm, it's 2022 almost. And my nurses take eight minutes to log in their email still
2: eight minutes. Jeez. Jeez. Bring them to Charlotte. Let's take them to CNSA.
0: Yeah. Let's do something.
2: All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you joining and, uh, we're going to wrap
0: this one up, but, uh, good talking to you guys about the chip shortage and other industry related things today.
2: Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Andy, I hope you and yours, and Bill, you and yours. I hope y'all have a good holiday season, man. I don't think I'll see y'all till after the Christmas time, but uh, I hope everybody has good Santa Claus and uh, have a good holiday, man. Thanks, Ben. You
1: too. All right, guys. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.